This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing in living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome, everybody, to this special sort of sneak peek episode of the Saturate podcast. I'm with David Achada, who leads our coaching uh, and works with churches and doing consulting and a whole bunch of other really important tasks with Saturate. And David's on the on this little sneak peek today to give us a view of this new series, this sort of spinoff series uh, with Saturate. And David, yeah, thanks for taking some time to talk about this new thing that we're doing. Glad to be here, Brad. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be a part of the spinoff series. I know. It feels like we're finally achieving that. Uh, do you remember when they tried to make an episode of Screech, like a Screech <laughs> series after Saved by the yeah. Bell died? Yes. <laughs> I think that's where we're at now. Which well, is I, good. I was hoping that maybe we were closer to Star Wars, you know, like some of the spinoff movies they're making. <laughs> That's probably a better analogy. Uh, yeah, I would have never thought more... of the Screech one. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the funniest version for me. But uh, I also think they did that with, uh, what's his name? The Fonz. Didn't the Fonz get a show for a while? He, I don't know. I have to find it. That sounds amazing. Some of those old 80s, TV shows had like all sorts of interwoven connected stories. Like I, I remember think that. living color also had like the girl from the Cosby show and they're like all together. But <laughs> anyway, it is, it's probably more like the creation of solo or <laughs> the others from star Wars than it is an actual, yeah. Eighties sitcom spinoff, but <laughs> <laughs> but all that to say that the Saturate podcast, essentially, we try to talk to everyday disciples about uh, matters with church and making disciples with the gospel at the center, but also the mission kind of as a as a assumed reality when we're making disciples in light of the gospel. And then over the course of the last year and a half, as we've been doing that, kind of realized there's also this whole other group of people that we would love to talk to. And you came up with this idea for this new uh, podcast called Leadership That Releases Movement. And so, yeah, we're going to give a, later on, we'll give a sneak preview, like a 30-minute chunk of that new series. But first, David, why did you kind of come up with this idea? How did that, how did this all evolve? Yeah, the way this started was um, a year or two ago, I was talking to Todd Moore, who I work very closely with, I had maybe just done a teaching on coaching. We maybe were at an event or something. And Todd said to me on the back end, he goes, you know, David, you got to be careful about how you teach about coaching because you teach it in a very convincing way to where people might believe it's a silver bullet. Hmm. And he said, in in this world, there are no silver bullets because there are so many other leadership tools available and we have to do a better job of teaching people what the other tools are available to mm-hmm. us. And um, and we began to sketch out some of the other uh, leadership tools 
that somebody might access. And honestly, I kind of forgot about it <laughs> for a while. And, um, but it did change how I, I, I taught about coaching as one of many tools that a leader needs to use. But then what happened was sometime later, I was on the phone with Todd Ingstrom, who is a pastor at the Austin Stone Church. And um, he and I were talking about uh, apostolic leadership. That's what it was. I don't know why we were talking about it. I don't know why we were on the phone talking about what we were. <laughs> and um, and Todd is a super brilliant guy in his former life. Uh, I think he was studying to be an engineer, worked as an engineer for a while. And uh, he thinks really systematically. And he rattled off this one sentence that just stuck to me. And he said, he goes, yeah, apostolic leaders, they're not really interested in sitting around too long. They just want to go do it. Mm -hmm. And then they have to put systems in place to help uh, some of the ongoing uh, things that need to be done. He goes, you know, there's the leader's work and then there is the ongoing work. Mm -hmm. And he said that to me, and all of a sudden I thought, this is what Todd was talking about, Todd Moore, a year ago previous. And um, my mind went back to when I was working as a pastor at a traditional church. We were doing some really great things. Our church services were growing, our programs were growing. But honestly, we just didn't know what else to do. We didn't have any other paradigm for it other than plan and invite, plan and invite. Um, so then I got to thinking, most leaders uh, have some kind of passion for to teach people good things. And the leaders that are more inclined toward leadership, they do a good job with teaching and vision casting. And they want to inspire people to follow. Yeah. But it wasn't until I, I came into the world of Soma in 2011 that I began to get language for what the ongoing work was. And um, as Todd Ingstrom was talking to me about some of this, my mind went back to those early days in Soma Tacoma and Todd Ingstrom rattled off. He goes, yeah, the work of a leader is assessment, care, training, and coaching. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. And I was like, <laughs> that's right. That is, that's true. That is what it is. Mm -hmm. And um, I was an associate pastor in a larger church in Orlando. My years there taught me the frustration that a lot of leaders have who cast a compelling vision, but really don't have any processes in place to see that vision carried out. Mm -hmm. And there are some really gifted leaders in this world who are growing massive churches in that way. But the problem is many of those, those churches lack the ongoing systems needed to help everyday people learn to work out whatever the vision is. Um, so as I was talking to Todd Ingstrom about it, I began to talk to some other people, Brad, I think I even talked to you one time and it, and it even got expanded to the work of a leader is setting vision strategy and um, some tactics. Mm -hmm. And those tactics are actually discovery assessment, care, training, and coaching. 
discovery, mm-hmm. meaning we've got to help people learn what their gifts are, what their story is, help them understand themselves, help them grow and develop. So that's discovery. What's their call? Assessment is really checking in on how we're doing with that. Right. So that's what we, we got to do with people on, on individual and on a um, community level. But then there is discovery, assessment, care, training, and coaching. So yes, you want to check it, see how it's going. You want to evaluate it, see how it went. Um, but then there's a system of care. Like how are we going to check in and make sure people's hearts are healthy? Right. They're doing things at a good motivation and not just works righteousness. So there's discovery, there's assessment, there's care, then there's training. What is good training? Does it mean you just talk to people all the time and hope that they'll figure it out? No, there's, it's more than that. And there is uh, coaching too, which is the area that I, I dabble a lot in. So what does it look like to put in place a system of coaching? So we talked to, um, over the last couple of months, we pulled together a lot of really great thought leaders on this subject. So we have Jeff Anderstelt, we have Todd Ingstrom, we have, um, Trying to remember everything in order here. Discovery. Oh, That's right. We, in order. Sorry. I was trying to get it in order. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah. So we've got Jeff uh, Vanderstelt, Todd Ingstrom, and we uh, interviewed Duke Rivard, who helps lead some of Family of Churches, and Jared Pickney on assessment. We interviewed uh, Pete Scazzaro on emotionally healthy discipleship. That's an amazing conversation, and Abe Meisenberg on systems of care. Discovery assessment, care training. John Thomas from City to City, along with our very own Todd Moore on what good training is and coaching. We interviewed Keith Webb, who founded Creative Results Management in, in Bellevue. And then also uh, one of our friends, a planter pastor named Jordan Elder, who's put it, it his, in his church a really great system of coaching. Mm-hmm. But the idea behind this was that we could look at a high view. What is not just leadership, but apostolic leadership. And Mm -hmm. we talked to Jeff and Todd about that. And we looked at a big vision, not just for your church, but for your city. Mm -hmm. And how do we um, cast a compelling vision that defines a big reality that God is up to? Well, also honors the fact that we have a reality that we live in every day that doesn't look like that. So how do we join those two realities? And then how do we put systems in place to make sure that vision actually happens? So that's where leadership that releases movement came from. And it's about the work of a leader and the ongoing work of a leader. And I'm super excited about it. Um, I felt um, very privileged to be able to have those conversations I secretly texted out unedited recordings to certain friends because I was like, I can't keep this to myself. It's so good. <laughs> I told them to never share it, to, that we we're going to do something with it. Um, but um, there's some really great conversations coming up, and I think it's really going to bless a lot of people. Yeah, and I think it's it's totally fitting a, a huge gap that we have. I've listened to the conversations and one of the big gaps is I think often we hear people teach about these things, but don't like see conversations about them, which is a completely different flavor. And you've done a good job of drawing out some of these really yeah, prominent thought leaders and these organizations that many, many people admire. Uh, and so that's one of the things I'm really excited about. But also, I think we we often struggle to make that combination of like 
doing the casting vision, but also the tactics. And so mm-hmm. I just love how that's mirrored and or or married in every one of these conversations mm-hmm. in a way that's both like inspiring for each person uh, that would be listening to it, but also super practical where you can walk away thinking about your own context, your own church, your own city. Um, I just, yeah, I love it. I think it's it's a huge gap that we've had in the saturate world uh, that that needs to be filled. So I'm glad we're at least having these conversations about about how about being the type of leaders that actually release a movement. Because mm-hmm. if we're about anything, big chunk of what saturate is about is actually equipping and training and caring for leaders so that we can see a movement while yeah, our vision statement is to see the whole world saturated with the gospel. <laughs> that's big. Uh, it's yeah. Huge. Like everybody become a Christian. That's our vision. But uh, <laughs> I think a, well, well, I, was, go. I gotta, I gotta add this Brad. <laughs> and this is to quote Todd Engstrom and that's God's vision. Exactly. You know, God's vision is that um, the entire world would uh, come into relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And I and I think in regards to the gap that you mentioned, I think we're 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 trying to work better at filling in that gap because I think that in the past we may have attracted a different type of listener or leader. Um, but we need to do a better job at attracting a more mature leader. Um, we really do because I think mm-hmm. uh, on a small level you've got a lot of really great younger guys who maybe have a prophetic leaning who want to go deep in community and go on mission to the burnout, the broken, you know, those hard, hard places. And that's true. And that's good. And, and, you know, yes. And amen to that. And that is um, what I totally believe in too, but there's more than that. There is a type of leader that we've got to learn to connect better with who's been there and done that and who got tired and learned that there's a more mature way to lead. And there's a lot more to leadership than, than preaching a message that fires people up and then sends them home to come back again next week. And I think that when a lot of us were, were younger, we enjoyed that for a while, but many of us got to a point where we said, is this it? There's gotta be more than this. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this this series of um, episodes is really going to connect with a more mature leader. And if if you are one of those leaders listening to this, meaning you're probably just a little bit older, you've been around a little bit, and you're hungry and you're ready to learn what are the ongoing things that I need to be doing to see a movement released. I think these are some of the big basic ones. And to be able to talk with a lot of thought leaders about um, how they're working this out practically, I think is going to be a huge blessing and I hope it's going to get shared with a lot of people. Yeah, that's so good. And I think that's going to be very much the case. I feel like this is going to be the sort of conversations that people share uh, virally quite a bit uh, because they are so humble and thoughtful and they, and they are, I think it is for that, that leader that's like, well, there's got to be something more than just motivating people Mm -hmm. from the get go. Or like, what do you do once you have all these motivated folks around you? And yeah, and that work of a leader is lost on a lot of us all the time. I know it is Mm -hmm. for me Uh, listening through. It was just really good to 
to be reminded of why we have some of the structures that we do have within our church, but also the structures that are missing or, or how we can even inject new life or more thoughtful, more mature leadership in those different mm-hmm. structures that we have, uh, like soul care or coaching and training, but basically all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks so much for doing all this work, David. I'm excited to see this spinoff and to see people respond to it. And it's going to be available today. And I think now we'll just sort of turn it over to the first part of the first episode. And it's a conversation between you, Todd Engstrom and Jeff Vanderstelt about that apostolic role. They have a really wonderful conversation with you in the middle of it. And so hope people listen to this and then you can uh, find it at saturatetheworld.com. You can find the rest of it either in the store or on your podcast feed. There'll be instructions on how to get this new podcast. Well, hello, this is a premium podcast opportunity for our Saturate uh, listeners. We're so glad that um, you've chosen to uh, join us for this set of conversations and a series called Leadership That Releases Movement. And the whole idea for Leadership That Releases Movement uh, came to me uh, months ago as I was talking with Todd Engstrom, who's on the call. Can you say hi, Todd? Hey, everybody. There he is. And Todd and I were talking about the things that leaders need to pay attention to. And we were talking about apostolic leadership. And the idea for this set of conversations was born. So the idea of our very first conversation in this series of conversations is that leaders are the ones that define reality. At a surface level, leaders are the ones that come to the table and say, this is where we're going and this is how we're going to get there. And there's some consensus to build along the way. There's teammates to win over. There's people to call to to join you, but it takes a leader to really call other people to the movement of God. And so this series of conversations is about the work of a leader and the ongoing work of a leader. And just in short, the ongoing work is to discover people's gifts and release them, to assess how things are going, to, to provide some kind of care strategy and training and coaching. We've got a lot of great leaders lined up that we're going to interview in this set of conversations. And this is the very first one. So I'm super excited to have Jeff Vanderstelt and Todd Engstrom um, with us today. Jeff uh, Vanderstelt is our visionary leader of um, the Soma family of churches and also has helped start Saturate, which I work with. Todd Engstrom is one of the pastors on the team at the Austin Stone Church in um, Austin, Texas. So guys, welcome and and jump in and just tell us a brief bio of yourselves. Many people are familiar with you, but tell us a brief bio and then we'll jump into the questions. So Jeff, why don't you start? All right. I've been in some kind of uh, vocational ministry since I was 22. I'm almost 50, so it's about 28 years. Uh, 14 of those years were uh, youth ministry, and the rest have been church planting, and now more recently replanting, as God called my wife and I to the Bellevue area, which is east of Seattle. It's really about 15 minutes from downtown Seattle. Uh, And we were called to step into what was Mars Hill Bellevue, the live preaching campus of Mars Hill. 
after everything uh, really fell apart there, I was asked to come in and restart a new church. So for the last three and a half years, I've been transitioning uh, this church towards uh, missional communities. The way we say it is we're transitioning it from Sunday to every day. And so that's, that's the work I'm in the middle of and enjoying and also struggling through uh, as we try to figure out how to do this. Great. Thanks, Jeff. What about you, Todd? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, just very briefly. Uh, I've been involved in vocational ministry for 11 years, all of them here at the Austin Stone. But uh, I came to Jesus through the ministry of Young Life and have been actively involved in the work of evangelism and discipleship and what I now know is simple church planting, uh, basically since I was converted to Christ. So uh, I have five kids here in the city of Austin. Uh, we are inundated with a uh, two and a half year old up to a middle schooler. And so learning how to be a faithful husband, father, missionary, and leader here at the Austin Stone is pretty much what my life consists of these days. <laughs> awesome. And I've enjoyed getting to know you, Todd, over the last uh, couple of years and some of the guys that you work with. And um, I think we were accidentally on a podcast together one time a couple of years ago. That's the first time <laughs> I'd ever met you. But um, I'm going to start our set of conversations today with a quote, and I'd love to hear what you guys think about it when you hear it. Okay, so here it is. It's Max Dupree. He said, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you. In between, the leader is a servant. So what do you guys think about this quote, and why do you think it's important for leaders today to get this. Jeff, why don't you jump in and take a stab at it first? Yeah, I think if you're going to lead anybody anywhere, you have to know where you're at and know where you're going. So uh, in order to know where you're at, you have to, you do have to define reality. You have to be honest about the present situation you're in and with a hope for the future you want to lead them to. I think the best leadership is going to be servant uh, leadership. If we're following the example of Jesus, it's someone who's willing to lay down their life for someone else and, um, and do it in a way that people thrive. People are um, uh, blessed, encouraged, built up, developed, so that at the end of the journey, you can look back and be glad that you, you took it. And I think, you know, the, the, the end statement of, you know, the last is to say thank you. I think that's what servants do. At the end of the day, we realize nobody is beholden to us and to have anybody follow us is a great honor and something we don't deserve. So we ought to be incredibly grateful and humbled by that reality. So I think it's, a, I think it's a great statement. I've, I read that years ago, continue to believe it's a true statement and one that we should really re-embrace over and over again. Yeah. What about you, Todd? Do you have anything to add to that? I mean, as is generally the case, Jeff said things better than I probably ever could. <laughs> so I mean, I think, you know, when, the first task of a leader is to define reality. You know, what immediately just comes to mind for me is we want to be defining reality rightly, which means we've got to be committed to the word of God. And so I think the task of a Christian leader, of a gifted Christian leader is to define the world as the Bible does. Mm -hmm. And so we see the world rightly when we engage God in his word, when we're full of the Holy spirit, who's bringing to mind the things that Jesus taught. And so um, and the task of a Christian leader is to really see the world rightly and then tell other people, this is how the world is, that God did create it, that humanity did fall into sin, that God has been reconciling a people for himself. And one day that will be fully consummated in the heaven, new heavens and the new earth. And so, so I just, yeah, I mean, reality is that story. So our job is to tell that story over and over and over again and believe it's most true. And more than that, 
reality is defined in the pages of God's word. And so being as robustly biblical as we possibly can um, in communicating what God's word says. So, Well, that's powerful, Todd. What I was just thinking is that's the reason why I'm starting this set of conversations with the two of you is because the way that you would view reality would be very different from how a different kind of leader would view reality. I mean, Todd, I was even thinking as you were talking about God is reconciling a people unto himself. I was thinking that is so big, that is so cosmic, and not everybody actually views the world through that lens. And um, that's why I wanted to start with this idea of really helping our listeners understand apostolic gifting and call. Would love to have both of you guys speak into how you would define apostolic gifting, leadership, and call. And specifically, um, how do you know if you have that? And why is it so important when we think about leaders defining reality? And this is for either of you. When I think about that, the apostolic gifting and call, I think of one who is called to lay the foundations of the gospel so that a vibrant movement of God can take place. And I would say not just a local church, but a, a movement from the church to the ends of the world. There is a, there's a difference. I think oftentimes churches are often led by pastor, shepherd, teacher type, and you've got this desire to establish them in the truths of God's word and care for God's people and generally build each other up. And oftentimes there's no impulse to go anywhere else other than where you're presently at. And I think the apostolic gifting uh, is going to say, how do we establish the people strongly enough and do custodial work to keep coming back to why we exist so that we prepare them to go to the ends of the earth. And it, it leads, it leads much more to a movement than an institution. It, it, it always asks where else does the gospel need to go? Who else needs to hear? How else will we send? Uh, and so you're, you're measuring things so differently. And I know at least for me, as I think about this role, uh, it's, I can't stop thinking about the ends of the earth whenever I think about the local church. I just can't, I can't separate the two. They, they are symbiotic. They are absolutely necessary for one another. And so I think the apostolic gift just does that. They're always asking those questions and thinking in the world, in, in terms of the world being the mission field, not just my neighborhood. So good, Jeff. I was just with some leaders earlier today and rehearsing Habakkuk 2.14. But then also thinking about the consummation of that is Revelation 5.9, that every tribe and tongue and nation will be worshiping the risen Lord Jesus around the throne. And there's this unique, particular passion that is global in its scope, and it's uh, in so many ways impacting generations. And so um, the way we've talked about, at least internally at the stone, kind of this apostolic word is really in three different areas. Uh, we talk about apostolic passion which is a, a love that people have for those who are not yet a part of God's kingdom. Um, I think there's a deep sense of brokenness that comes with apostolic passion. And it's like Paul, when he has a longing to preach the gospel to those who haven't heard, um, but apostolic passion may be coupled with different gifts. And so you can have apostolic, uh, apostolic passion, but probably the gift of service. And so we wanted to use that language to help people who really align with this vision, but maybe have different gifts. Apostolic gifting 
uh, in the Ephesians 4 sense is really what Jeff has just unpacked is a particularly gifted by God to reach new people and develop new works that sustain over the course of time. And I think it's really critical to view that in light of it's a gift for the equipping of the saints. What I love most about my brother, Jeff Anderstelt is his particular passion as an apostolically gifted leader to ensure that the saints are equipped for the task of maturing the body of Christ so that more people are added into it. And then third, uh, we talk about apostolic calling, uh, which I do think is, is unique in a sense uh, that it is a particular burden for an unreached or unengaged people group. And I think this apostolic calling is often accompanied by visions and signs. It's like the Apostle Paul in the Macedonian call in Acts 16 or uh, kind of his Romans 15, there's no place left for me to work since. And so that way has been helpful for us not to just collapse down this very particular biblical form um, into maybe a simple term that can be unhelpful over the course of time. That's super helpful, Todd, to hear it like passion, gifting, and call in those three categories. I, I haven't really thought through it in those ways, but I definitely, as you say it, it, it resonates with me uh, in that I have some people that love to come around the work God's given me to do have an apostolic uh, passion, but not necessarily the gifting. And then I would say very clearly for me, God gave me a call in particular to North America many years ago. And David, you asked, how do you know if you've got it? And why is this that so important? I'll be honest, I get really nervous when people call themselves apostles when they're like <laughs> self-appointed and they do it in isolation. Uh, and and I, and in a lot of ways, I've tried to avoid ever being called it or identified as it because I just know there's just a lot of wacko kind of works <laughs> up that I get nervous about. And I don't know that I want to be associated with that. Uh, and yet I will say that I couldn't shake a calling to especially the key cities in North America, not just for North America, but for the reaching of the nations from North America. And uh, I submitted that to our eldership who prayed and fasted and sought God's mm -hmm. uh, direction. And they together affirmed that that was God's call on my life. And, and it's continued to be wherever I've been, mm -hmm. it's continued to be affirmed. It's continued to be, um, you know, even just fanned into flame in a lot of ways. I mean, some people regularly ask me, why am I not making more time for it? Uh, because they see it. And so I think you've got to have not only that internal uh, certainty of what God's called you to do, and you can't shake it. Like, I just, I can't stop thinking about it. Uh, I have to exercise discipline to limit how much I think about it, honestly. And then you have to have that external communal affirmation. And then I think there's got to be a fruitfulness to it that mm -hmm. the spirit gives affirmation because there's a fruitful apostolic work that's coming out of your life and God's drawing uh, people toward it that you could have never made it happen. Like it's mm -hmm. just the spirit of God does it. And so I think all of those things are part of that discernment process. That's so good. And Jeff, I'm really glad that you referenced Acts 13. You know, I was convicted about this last week as we're talking about some vision. We'll talk about it soon. Uh, but particularly that apostolic calling that Paul received was preceded by particular prayer and fasting and the Holy Spirit set them apart for that work. You know, I think maybe to reflect a little bit on my own self, I have apostolic passion. I do not have apostolic gifting. I believe the Holy Spirit has given me the gifts of leadership, teaching, and administration. And my role in the kingdom and in the church is to serve particularly people with apostolic calling. 
And so me being able to have passion but not gifting helps me find my role in the task of the Great Commission, which global is global in its expanse. And so I think as a younger man, I probably wanted an apostolic gifting. And I think it's taken me a lot of time to recognize and be content with the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given me in having apostolic passion. Todd, that's actually something I wanted to ask you about. So I want to just use this to get there. Uh-huh. Is um, As someone who has apostolic passion, but not necessarily apostolic gifting, share with us just a little bit more about how you see that connecting uh, your church to God's larger vision for their lives, not only just there in your local church, but uh, beyond that. I think by God's grace, the Austin Stone has several apostolically gifted leaders. Um, I think we have a unique apostolic calling as a community, uh, particularly to focus on catalyzing church planning movements among the unreached. And so um, that's all birthed out of who we believe we are. So when we think about vision at the Austin Stone, we have, it's our ontological vision. It's really a statement of who are we seeking to be? And this statement has been with us from the very foundations of the church. We want to be a New Testament church existing for the supremacy of the name and purpose of Jesus Christ. That was, you know, early, early on in the life of the church, the fundamental statement of being and who we desire to be. And as I think we've led and served and grown and changed, we've gotten more clarity on what are the outcomes? What's the general vision that we want to see happen? And what's that going to look like generally? Well, we think that means that if we're this kind of church, we will multiply disciples, communities, leaders, and churches to the glory of God. And so that's really clear vision. That's what we want to see happen. That's our outcomes. But then it has to get to specificity. And so what does that mean for us at the Austin Stone? And so by God's grace, I get to serve alongside and help lead our international efforts. And we've worked through this past two years through prayer, through fasting, through study, through lots of fighting to come up with a particular measurable in the next decade, 20 years kind of vision. And for us, that's going to be to catalyze a church planning movement among 100 unreached people groups. That is something that is very measurable. And we believe by God's grace, though, it's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish. It's something that is potentially accomplishable, not by the Austin Stone itself, but by several other churches, other ministries who are all laboring towards this particular end. And so in a sense, that's how we go from general ontological vision to practical, measurable, like outcomes-focused kind of vision over time. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of leaders have a, a real problem with is to come to the table with a really inspiring vision, but really have no practical handles for it. Um, I think that there's probably a whole category of people out there who are um, immature evangelists or or even somebody who's an immature uh, apostolically gifted leader who wants to go out and go after people and do amazing things and might even chastise their church for not doing it when really it's their fault because they never really gave them any handles on how to do it. Um, so I love how you're taking it from a big idea to really practical and it, and it's, and even your practical though is so big. <laughs> I love it. Though. <laughs> um, Terrifies me, honestly. So. <laughs> but that means it's a, it's a vision. We think that God gave us, you know, it's not something that we look at and go, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> you know, it's like, It stretches, even though we have really skilled leaders, man, we want by faith to ask God to do something that's far more abundantly than we could ask for or even imagine. This is what we can imagine in a sense, as the Austin Stone with the network of churches and having sent so many. But 
We want God to do even more than that. That is one thing that Matt Carter prayed from the very foundations of the Austin Stone was, God, Mm -hmm. would you do far more than I can ask for or even imagine? Ephesians 3.20 was just over and over and over the thing that Matt prayed. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that Jeff has helped me get really well through the years is if our vision is not, if our vision is, is if we feel like we could accomplish it on our own, it's probably not totally God inspired because his ideas for us should bring us to the ends of ourselves. Uh And Jeff, oh man, brother, you have really messed me up a little bit because now I'm like, wait a minute, I I thought that one up because I could accomplish it. I got to wait on the Lord a little bit longer, you know? And so I want to hear from you, Jeff, um, as an apostolic leader leading in a local church, how are you defining reality for the people at Doxa? And, And then also I'd love to hear a little bit more after that, about um, how is that working itself out in your larger uh, Bellevue context? Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a variety of ways that you define reality. Like Todd said earlier, you've got to make sure that reality is tied to how God sees the world, how he wants us to see the world and what he's up to in the world. So I think that certainly comes about through just constantly opening the word, calling people to the real nature and character of God, uh, what, he's, what he is doing, what he has done, what he will do. Uh, so all that, I think, is, I just want to say that so it's not assumed in what I'm about to say, uh, because what I'm about to say is now I have to look at the reality of our situation. I have to, I have to look at Doxa Church. I have to understand who we have. I have to pay attention to where they're actually at. Where, where are they at in the process of being a disciple who makes disciples? Where are our leaders at in being able to create environments that can be disciple-making context? Are they, how well are we doing at raising up apprentice leaders to be sent out to start new works? Uh, how are we doing at actually reaching the lost? If you do, you know, you have to do a ton of cultural study where I'm at and realize that the church is doing a terrible job, honestly. And I mean, I think we're doing our best and growing, but if you look at the context and the culture of the greater Puget Sound, uh, we're not doing a great job of reaching this region. And we, and so I have to define that too and be honest about that and say, just because I have new people joining our church all the time, largely a lot of those people who are joining are being moved from one part of the country to another because of Amazon's growth and others as well with the tech boom here. And so we have a thousand people moving in a week to this region. And a lot of them are coming from other churches in another part of the country coming to our church. And if our church grows because of that, it doesn't necessarily mean I've made a dent at all in reaching this context. And so I have to be that honest and real with our people and, and then hopefully appropriately measure what are, what, what, what are we actually doing and where are we actually at? And uh, are we really reaching this context? So I have to do that. I have to define those things truthfully honestly, soberly, uh, be willing to not be easily amused by numbers or uh, live with the illusion of growth when it's not actually happening. So that's stuff I've got to do over and over and over again, which I don't like doing, to be honest, because I want to believe better and I want to hope better. And as a visionary leader, I'm always talking about what can be and my optimism is what leads people to keep going forward. But my realism has to lead me to start have a starting point. So that's the work I'm doing in the, the defining reality. But then I think I have to define the reality of what will be, which is, and Todd referenced this earlier, Habakkuk 2.14, uh, there'll be a day when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so I have to put in front of our people, 
there will be a day where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And there will be a day when men, women, and children in the greater Puget Sound will get to have a daily encounter with Jesus through word and deed through his church. And, and I believe that. And if I don't believe that, I don't know why I'm here. So I have to cast a vision of a daily, a possibility of a daily encounter with Jesus through disciples who follow Jesus and obey his commands in everyday life. So then I, I cast a big vision. What will it look like for us to see the greater Puget Sound experience an awakening to the spirit of God? And we've never had one actually here in Seattle. There's only a few cities in the, in the country who've never experienced it. We're one of the few that's never experienced it. So I have to put in front of them what I believe God can and will do. And it should, back to what you said, it should be so big that everybody goes, that'll never happen. Like, unless, <laughs> unless God's spirit is poured out, unless the church obeys and submits to Jesus, unless the church is united, as Jesus prayed in John 17. And so I regularly pray, uh, cast a vision that our church hears and they have to sit back and go, wait a minute, that means I will have to surrender to Jesus and obey him and walk in the spirit in everyday life. That means we will have to do it together. And that means the church will actually have to get rid of our division and start working together as one body in this region for the glory and fame of Jesus. So a lot of times what I'm doing is I'm casting a vision that I believe is biblical. It's not just Jeff's fanciful thinking and my dreams and what I hope for. It's grounded in the very word of God and the future hope that we all look to. But I, then I have, to, I have to speak realistically to the people where I'm really at. One of my leaders once said, Jeff, you cast a vision for like, like Mount Everest, and yet most of our people are drunk in base camp. <laughs> and, and, you know, he's not trying to tear down our church. He's just saying, like, you have to do both. You have to go to base camp and say, okay, let's get you sober. Let's teach you how to, how to actually take a step. Let's get you the, to the, the, the trailhead. And let's guide you up this mountain. And yet I can't stop calling them to the top because if I don't keep putting in front of them God's intent, they won't take the steps forward. And so I'm convinced as a leader, my job is to cast the vision of the future in such a compelling way that it makes them want to take the hike. And at the same time, I need to do it in such a way that they know how they should take the hike. Mm-hmm. In other words, the way I usually say it is the future reality of all things made new in Christ should, should impact the present life that I live, that I'm living with my eyes set on the future so it changes how I live in the present. And that's a lot of my work. I have to do both at the same time. Yeah, I like how you said it's really about what we're going to do, why we're going to do it, but also it's about how we're going to do it. So that, again, that's the difference between maybe somebody who's a little uh, less honed or mature and somebody who's been in it a little while is that you know how to define for people the specific hows. And both of you guys have said that. Um, so both of you have helped set some really big visions Todd, for you, it's to the ends of the earth. For Jeff, you are um, a bit more specific uh, in your local context to the Bellevue and the Puget Sound region, but they're both huge. These are both huge, millions and millions and millions of people, big. And most churches don't think like that. Most churches are led by people who are called, but they're just not gifted to think like that. And so their vision is more so for their local church. Like we want to be a church that is like this, like that's a vision for a local church. It's not an apostolic vision. 
but there are some people that are in that category who want to have a bigger vision. They realize that as they're listening to this, oh man, uh, I just don't think that big, but God help me. Maybe I, I need to, uh, or bring somebody to the table who can help me think that big. And so some of these people listening, some of our listeners are thinking, how do I inspire that kind of vision to where it brings culture change so that they're thinking about their faith as something that matters, not just for themselves, but for real life and for all these people, all these outsiders. So Jeff, how can you um, help a leader like that learn how to make that shift from thinking, my faith is just about me and my local context to inspiring a culture changer, they say it's actually for the world. Well, I'm, I'm convinced that the Ephesians 4 gifts to the church, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, are not just given to the local church, uh, you know, First Baptist on Main Street, uh, but it, they're given to the, the city church, the, the church in a city, a people in a place, the e- ecclesia. Uh, and, and so when I think of, for instance, my gifting to the church, I think if I'm not gifted that way, if I'm in another church and I maybe have a, more of a shepherd uh, call or t- a teaching kind of gift, gift um, then you need to get people like me around you. Like you need to, like you need to be with people who can call you to something bigger, who inspire you and challenge you, who won't let you just stay in your box, uh, who continue to remind you they're part of something much bigger. I think that's one thing you've got to do. So, and and they're in your city; they really are. And a lot of times you don't want to be around them because uh, they bother you. You know, either they <laughs> spur you on or they challenge you, or you're always like, "Hey, can I just think about my own local church?" Like, stop cast this big vision. I got enough to do with just this, but you need to be around them because what happens is when you're around them, not only do they inspire you, but they'll actually help your local church get healthier because they're going to, they're going to lead you or encourage you in ways that actually help your disciples become much more outward facing and have a much bigger view of what God could accomplish through their individual life. So by being around them, you will actually be able to better, more effectively lead your church. That's the whole idea that God gives these people to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which includes you in your ministry. So you need to be around and be equipped to be encouraged, to be inspired. And then if, if they truly are, you know, like in my case, as an apostolic leader in this region with a very clear calling, first of all, to the Puget Sound, and then to hopefully see that reproduced in major cities in North America, I have to think through, well, how are we going to do that? Do we have a strategy to reach the entire Puget Sound? Do we have measurables? Do we have, uh, how are we going to help each church do it? And I think through that. And it's not hard for me to think in those broad terms and in kind of measurable, principled ways. And so then when I sit down with a local church and I say, hey, we're trying to see 3,800 gospel communities on mission in the greater Puget Sound, everywhere where we live, work, learn, and play, you have a portion to play in that. And you, you may go, well, I only have a church of 100. And I'm, I'm going to say to you, well, then let's, let's have you own 10 of those 3,800. How do I help you own your part in the bigger picture? And that's a big part of what I do in light of my work in this region. And so I, I can help a local church leader become more effective in their local church ministry so that it goes beyond their local church to their city and hopefully to the ends of the earth. And I think that's what you got to start doing. You got to be willing to surround yourself with them, let them encourage and inspire you, help the, ask them to help you own your part in the much broader vision because you have a part to play in the work that God's doing in your city, and then collaborate. And you'll find that actually your people are going to get better equipped because you're going to have much more connection to more gifts than your own local church has in and of itself. 
That's uh, super encouraging and practical and helpful, Jeff. I'm just sitting here listening to you. One thing I wanted to encourage you with is as an apostolic leader, we should always be listening for Christ-likeness. Uh, I think when you're talking about, you know, in a sense, casting a vision for the summit of Everest and also understanding there's drunk people at base camp, that's just like Jesus, man. Like, that is what Jesus did. He painted this compelling picture for what God was doing throughout all of eternity and where God is going and, you know, redeeming and restoring all things. And at the same time, he's so tender and he's so kind and he's so merciful with the woman who's caught in an adultery, you know, and fending off these self-righteous Pharisees and tenderly restoring her. And at the same time, calling her, go therefore and sin no more. Like that apostolic gifting should be Christ-like. And I think I want to make one comment here is, it's very important when we think about gifted leaders that we understand they're immature gifted leaders and mature gifted leaders. I think about Apollos uh, in the New Testament, who was clearly a gifted leader who had some doctrinal work that Priscilla and Aquila had to do with them. <laughs> and so recognizing that uh, apostolically gifted leaders come in immature and mature forms, that doesn't mean that you should dismiss them entirely. What you ought to do is recognize the apostolic gifting and it, in all of its forms and maturity, help it flourish in the context of the local church. I, I see so many people dismiss apostolically gifted leaders because they're just immature. And man, they need discipleship. They need care. They need encouragement. And they need other apostolically gifted leaders like Jeff to call them into that and mature them in Christ. But apostolic gifting is always Christ-like because it's a gift of Christ to the church. Um, the second thing, David, I was just thinking about how do you cultivate vision where there's not this sense of apostolic gifting? And I think like the Apostle Paul does with Timothy, he brings the scope of this particular calling down. In 2 Timothy 2.2, what you've heard from me in the presence of many, uh, many witnesses, entrust it to faithful men who will teach others the same. And movement thinking or apostolic vision is so many ways about cities and about nations, but the heart of that is reproducing disciples and reproducing leaders. And so you may not have a vision for your whole city. What you can do is have a vision for four-generation multiplication. Uh, and so maybe to help people think in their context, what does it look like for me to play my part? Well, man, what you've heard from the risen Lord Jesus, the Apostle Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, you have a congregation with you and trust it to faithful men who will teach others to do the same. I think anybody can do that kind of leadership over the course of time. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.